So it's an interesting thing the weather has done this weekend. I uh, felt as if I'd gone to bed and woken up and missed summer. Our uh, Angela's mom and dad came in from, they moved from Arizona just recently. They live in a little town outside of Dallas called Melissa, Texas. I don't know if any of you have been there. It's close to McKinney, I guess. And they attend a, a little Catholic church there, and they were there for Easter Sunday. And much like uh, our Easter Sunday, we get a swelling in, in the numbers that, that uh, grace us in the, in the chairs. Um, and then the following Sunday, just like we are here, we have considerably less. And that little priest up there has uh, um, got a great sense of humor. And, and he said, as he was dismissing them Easter Sunday, he said, some of you I will see next week, the rest of you, See you next Christmas. <laughs> I think sometimes that's, uh, that's what we see in our culture is uh, uh, an obligation to attend church and be a part of the, the uh, body of Christ in, uh, on Easter and, and on Christmas and the rest of the time we pretty much do our own thing. But uh, we assembled here today are part of the faithful, uh, the faithful few. I'm happy to see you here this morning. There's an interesting uh, epistle that I'd like to talk about this morning. You see, there are, there are two things that we typically struggle with in life. Two things that often cause us to make a real mess out of our lives. More often than not, most of the difficult circumstances that we find ourselves in can be traced back to this basic misunderstanding of these two things. What are the two things that I'm talking about? Well, it's basically two questions. What is love and who is God? If we have a misunderstanding of these two things, we can often find ourselves getting into situations that we'd rather not. Now, the Bible clearly demonstrates that these two things, love and God, are interwoven. They're intricately related. They're, they are, in fact, inseparable. If we want to understand God correctly, then we have to learn how to love correctly. If we want to learn how to love correctly, then we have to understand God correctly. God and love are inseparable. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, that God is is love. And so this gift that God has given to us in John's three letters to his congregation, that's 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, we get these, this wonderfully specific instruction on how to love God, how to love one another, and on who God is and who we are in him. So to explain this, John focuses on the one perfect example of this union between love and God, and that is Jesus Christ. Why does he do that? Well, because Jesus provides to us, reveals to us the complete, full understanding of who God is. Jesus shows us 
this mature working out of love because in Jesus, God and love are demonstrated to us perfectly. No one else could demonstrate to us the love of God better than the perfect example that Jesus provided. See, the, the reality of our human condition is that there are always people who just don't want to see the face of God as he really is. There are people who don't want to see the God that Jesus reveals because they would rather make up their own idea of God, make up their own definition of love to better fit their own lifestyle and their own agenda. Just like now, in, in John's day, in the churches he pastored, there were people like this, just as there are in churches across the world today. And his letters were written to his congregations to address these types of disruptive people. They were written to redirect the thinking of the congregation back to the original unity of God and the love that he made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And so in the epistle today, in 1 John, first chapter, we get a better look at three aspects of this love-God relationship. And the first one we get a look at is Jesus, the word of life. Listen to what John writes. He says, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify to it and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So what's John saying there? He's saying from the very first day, we were there. Taking it all in. We heard it with our own ears. We saw it with our own eyes. We verified it with our own hands. What was it that we heard and saw and verified? What was it that we touched? Well, we touched the word of life who appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in the most direct way possible that what we witnessed was Incredibly, this, that the infinite life of God himself took shape right before us. Isn't it amazing that they were able to figure this out? John says, we saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so that you can experience it right along with us. This experience of the communion with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive in writing this down for you is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. Because your joy 
will increase. In fact, he says, will double our joy. Isn't that the way it is, though? When we tell someone about Jesus Christ, don't we feel good? When you tell someone the message of the gospel, doesn't it feel good? Yeah, it's scary at first. It's a little bit intimidating. You don't know how they're going to react. But the Holy Spirit is able to cut through that. If you're willing to just put yourself out there and proclaim the gospel, then God does the rest. And what you walk away with is a blessing. A feeling of blessedness that you have been obedient to the mandate that Jesus Christ gave to you and that it has been received whether they understand it immediately or whether it takes time for that seed to grow in them that's not up to you but you've planted the seed and you may never see the harvest that's true But one day, when you're standing in front of Jesus and your life story is rolling out before you, good and bad, you may see the, the, the fruit of that seed that you've planted. The second thing that John reveals to us is that God is light. In verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. John talks about the essence of God, who God is. He says, in essence, this is the message that we heard from Christ, and now we're passing it on to you. That God is light, pure light. There's not a trace of darkness in him at all. And if we claim that we experience a shared life with him and then we continue to stumble around in the dark, well, it's obvious that we're lying through our teeth. You can't proclaim one thing and live differently because then you're not living out what you claim. But, John says, if we walk in the light, Knowing that God himself is the light. Then we also experience this shared life with each other. 
Because the sacrifice blood of Jesus, the only one who was perfect and holy enough to make that sacrifice, because that, that blood of Jesus purges all of our sin. And then John says, if we claim that we're free of sin, we're only fooling ourselves. Since the fall, since, since Adam and Eve and, and the apple in the garden, since that time, we can't claim that we have no sin. In fact, John says it's nonsense to claim that. On the other hand, and this is the beautiful thing about the gift of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, if we admit our sins, if we confess our sins, then he forgives us and purges us of all of that wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, well, we're just out and out contradicting God's word. And a claim like that only shows off how ignorant we can be as humans. The premise, the basic premise that mankind, that humankind is basically good as we exist now in this fallen state, well, that's a lie. But the third thing that John talks about makes all of that okay. Because John says Christ is our advocate. What's an advocate? Someone who speaks on our behalf. John says, my little children... That's comforting, isn't it? It's comforting for us to be considered children. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John is telling us, I'm writing this to you to guide you out of sin. But I know who you are. I know the fallen condition and the daily struggle that you have in the world. So I'm here to tell you that you have a friend who sits in the presence of of the Father, Jesus Christ, the only one who is righteous. And because of what he did on the cross for you, served as a sacrifice for our sins, well, he solved the sin problem. Not just now, but for always. Not just for you, not just for me, but for the entire world. See, in the day-to-day struggle that we have to clearly understand and experience the love of God, that love that radiates out from us and enables us to love each other, 
and to understand just exactly who is this God that we worship? What is he doing in the world and how do I join in? Because that's what we're called to do as the body of Christ. You know that, right? We're not called to make up our own way. No, we're called to join in with what God is doing. And so we can see in John's first letter in our epistle for today that the first thing is, if you're taking notes, Jesus is the word of life. By confessing Christ as Lord with our mouths and believing that in our hearts, we get to experience the eternal life that the word brings. The second thing is that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. The beauty of this is that we were made, we were created to see the light. What's more, we're made with the ability to distinguish light from dark. That's the way you were made. To recognize those things that are of light, of God, and those things which are not. We were made to know the difference so that we can walk in the light and avoid the darkness. Jesus is the example of a life lived in the light. And through the power of the word, we can see what it looks like and we can emulate what it is to walk in the light in our daily lives. And the third and last thing from this first letter that John writes to his congregation is that Christ is our advocate. Jesus Christ is on your side. And even now he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father and he's speaking on your behalf. And because of the work that he did on the cross and in the grave, those of us that believe on him, well, we're made righteous. Perfectly acceptable to God and able to participate to join in with what God is doing in the world. To bring people into the kingdom, right? To fulfill God's deepest desire, which is that none should perish. And that as many as would believe would have eternal life with him. See, this relationship between God and love you can't separate the two. Why? Because God so loved the world, right? That he gave his one and only begotten son. That whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. You recognize that. John 3, 16. Christ is our advocate. Sitting at the right hand of God, whispering into the Father's ear, these are my children who you gave to me from the beginning of the world. Now, 
and he prays for you and for me there at the right hand of the Father. As your advocate. And God the Father and Jesus Christ loved us so much that they sent the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in you as a believer. To keep you in the narrow way that leads back to the kingdom. What an amazing advocate we have in Jesus Christ. What an amazing love we see from God the Father. And what an amazing grace we have in the continued presence of His Holy Spirit who surrounds us and dwells in us as believers. It's almost too much to take in. And yet it is the power and the wisdom of God at work in his church and in the world. And it's so powerful that it doesn't matter how many empty seats are in the row you're on. The work of the Holy Spirit in the world this morning is watering those seeds that many of you have planted in this community. Those that were here Easter Sunday, maybe one of two times a year, they come to church. Now have a seed implanted in their hearts that through the power of the Holy Spirit will one day make them realize that they need a Savior. And that community and fellowship with other believers is part of the engine that makes the church go in the world. It's an incredible system. beyond the imagination how God is daily redeeming the world that we live in until one day Jesus Christ comes again and as many as possible will be taken up with him in this glorious day where we get to reunite with our Savior it's coming in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.